and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We're a podcast about the ancient world, ancient books, ancient ideas, old things, and the whole goal is to bring education to you in a way that is fun and inventive. And my name is AJ Hannenberg. I am joined by my two compatriots, Graham Donaldson. Hello. And Thomas Magby. Hello. And today we are talking about, I think, the greatest WWE wrestler of all time, Cyrus the Great. Oh, wow. man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite was that he always brought that big snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had the rubber doll. Yeah. And the, there was that short time when he went evil and was known as Cyrus the Virus. Mm-hmm. You remember, you remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. That was really rough, too. He had the goatee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But how long did he have that for? Uh, it was only a month until uh, Hogan... Yeah shaved it is that, in wow. the in the ring that's that's terrifying actually it that. was very i mean he was struggling the whole time and it was a straight razor so it was a very oh dangerous scene but you know pulled off with sh- showsmanship that can't be rivaled by mm-hmm. today's wwe wrestlers that's yeah, true yeah the best we are here to talk about herodotus so we covered book one the first half of book one of herodotus the last time we talked about this and here we are part two still in book one here we are here we are guys we made it who'd have, who'd have thunk it that we that part two would come after part one yeah not me as we go no. on, <laughs> we'll remember. What are we going to remember? All the Wasn't that your graduation song? 100%. What <laughs> was, was it my, I don't remember if it was my senior graduation song. I know that from one, one of those transitions yeah. from one school to the other. Man. But it might have been the senior one. Now Speaking about, about a podcast it. of the ancient world, guys, we're getting old. Just Hamburg like, and I were just talking uh, on the break that like we got like eyebrow hair. Like oh, come with wow. like little little bang little bang like coming out of the side of the eyebrows like an old man. It's true. I get I get twanglers. I now have to twanglers? like twanglers. I'm sorry. Yeah. I what? have to trim my eyebrows so they don't get out of control. What's, what's Thanks, happening? Grandpa. Yeah. Wait. Hold on. Forgiving. Your... Oh, you haven't seen my grandpa. That's the what, dude had I'm two unibrows. Like an owl. Good. They were the most massive eyebrows you've ever seen. It was like caterpillars had yeah. jumped onto his face. And you're about to grow those. Is oh, I'm going to get the best. It's already yeah. It's already going. All right. So speaking of history because we were just talking about your granddad mm-hmm. i don't know uh here we are to talk about herodotus so we so in uh book one in the first episode on this we talked about a guy named croesus do you all remember anything we talked about last time he was real happy <laughs> yep <laughs> that was definitely the takeaway from that story he was the guy with the talk that was the legendary like who's the luckiest man right yes that's yeah. exactly right so yeah, he threw condescending parties he, uh well he threw parties to, so people would talk about how great he was, yeah. and then a person showed up and told him that he wasn't that great. Yeah, the the guy the, the guy with the um, the hairdresser with no Salon s- Salon uh, uh, Salon Salon Salon. <laughs> Thank you. I actually forgot how to pronounce it as you were going through that. So this I said a lot of goodbyes. Salon Salon. <laughs> uh, so yes, we talked. The main driving uh, story last time was between Croesus and Solon. Croesus and Solon have this conversation about who is the happiest of all men. Solon gives this like wacky answer of some guy no one's heard of <laughs> tell us the athenian he's like okay cool who's the second happiest and it's pushes the, up his glasses like, well, uh, actually, well, actually yeah uh, aj was not a fan of him and uh, Croesus wanted to be the answer to that question of who's the happiest of men because he was rich at the time and then the rest of the story is the demise of Croesus, which is a bummer so at the end of that story the town that or the yeah the town that Croesus is in charge of um sardis is invaded by a guy named cyrus and Cyrus um, takes Croesus hostage. We talked a little bit about that part of it, but keeps Croesus alive, keeps, um, takes him on in his army, and this kind of kicks off the next main narrative arc of book one of Herodotus. 
I think I learned is that Herodotus is not the one who split these into books. This happened at some point later. So there's no real significance between, anyway, each one of these books. I'm trying to track this more by the big narrative that's happening. So again, Croesus for the first one and Cyrus for the second one. Okay, so we've mentioned Cyrus and AJ has mentioned his WWE persona. The you Medes know? and the Persians. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What do you know about this Cyrus guy? Uh, he's Persian. Um, he... I know of him from Xenophon's, um, basically, oh, AJ, what's that type of speech where you, it's a discourse where you praise somebody? It's like Encomium? a big one. Yeah, that's it. So uh, uh, Xenophon Thanks for wrote, letting me sound smart. You're naming right. a whole bunch of stuff I don't know that and to like great. reach wow. out and pluck me and say, hey, say a smart thing. And yeah. That feels really good. Yeah, because um, um, uh, I knew you knew it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, just, you know, lobbing softballs. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Xenophon writes one of Cyrus the Great. Um basically praising him. So I think everything I know from Cyrus the Great is from Xenophon and from um, Nehemiah. Do you know when Xenophon is writing? hundred years later. So it is, okay. it's, it's late. It's like a generation later. Okay. So I think then, then there must be um, Xenophon and Herodotus are writing in similar times, not the yeah. exact same. So again, when we keep referencing Cyrus, you know, it almost automatically comes with the great afterwards, but Herodotus does not seem as uh, jacked, jacked about, um, about Cyrus as Xenophon? Cyrus as Xenophon does. Now, for, uh, I, only, I only read a little bit about this. I know I've read Xenophon's story of Cyrus, but it's been a while, and it was a very modern translation. Yeah, that's the one I'm familiar it, with. Okay. Because so, Xenophon wrote something that's called, like I think it's called the Cyropedia, uh -huh. and it is, um, yeah, that kind of crazy speech, yep. but it also has a lot of stuff about, like some really like technical things about Cyrus and his mill and his army and that kind of stuff. And then there is a, um, I think it's called the History of Cyrus the Great. By and then there's like a really sort of it's more accessible like one where the guy who's writing it is also putting like distilling the episodes of Cyrus's life into like actionable maxims. And it definitely reads kind of like, here's a book for people who work in companies. Right. It's like a popular business book, but it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and it's based, you know, it's not just based on it is, and it is essentially like a, um, um, an amalgamation of like the greatest hits of this Cyropedia. Yeah. I'm trying um, to remember. Cause there's another, there's like a, a translation. I want to say it. I can't, I can't find it, but the, there's like a, Greek translation that ends mm. up being how to be a leader is what mm -hmm, it's called, even mm -hmm. though obviously that wasn't the title at the yeah. time. But anyway, that's essentially that's, that's, yeah, so that's all I know what happened him. with mm -hmm. this version of Cyrus. And that's the one that I read was kind of a popularized version. Like and that. the Greeks saw him as somebody who recognized the benefit of like humanizing the enemy and, and then having them sort of, um, um, sort of uh, like be absorbed into your army to make like a great nation. Yes. Whereas before, you know, you took over the enemy and you like made fun of them and you dehumanized them and you plundered them and you were always going to stay weak and fragile. But, but they saw Cyrus as somebody that had a higher view of humanity and every person that he conquered eventually loved to have been conquered by Cyrus because everything yes. was better under Cyrus. Right. And then that ends up being the precursor for Alexander. Yes. And then that ends up being the precursor for Caesar. So you've sort of got this, this idea of like the benevolent conqueror. Yes. Wait, was he the guy that conquered and then asked him a bunch of questions about yes. his life and about yes. being conquered? Yeah. yeah. So he, he's the guy that came in at the end of last episode. Yep. Yes, he did. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Got it, so got it, yeah. He's the one who beats Croesus at, at Sardis, at the place where Croesus lives. And so then the story kind of shifts focus, you know, in a movie, it would like move from Croesus to 
Cyrus, even though Croesus is there the whole time. And wasn't it that they're going to execute him? And then Croesus said some interesting. Croesus things? was like friggin' Solon. Yeah. And um, Cyrus is like, "What are you saying in that funeral pyre?" And he's like, "This guy told me this was going to happen." And, and uh, <laughs> Croesus is like, "All right, no, Solon." Or Cyrus is like, "All right, come on, come on, come yeah. on, tell me about this story." And they almost burn um, Croesus alive, but they pray to um, Croesus prays to Apollo. Apollo puts out the fire, and Cyrus is like, "We're going to keep this guy with us." Yeah. So, but they, they, he, he gets Sounds to stay legit. alive. And yeah. also, the thing we know about Cyrus is he um, let the, the exiled Jews from Babylon go back to Israel and rebuild their temple, and so he appears in the Book of Nehemiah. I wonder if he was a lot like the the Tsar that was over Dostoevsky that had the whole yeah we're gonna shoot you by firing squad oh just kidding saved your life off to hard labor with you mm-hmm. like if it was the let's that burn kind of the thing. people we conquered all the time yeah and see how they react in their last moments and then we just keep the goodies we well we save them and then they're gonna love us forever because we could have killed them and we didn't I okay. would say this is a different picture of Cyrus yes. that's the that's the point to set up Xenophon would not say that Cyrus did that Xenophon would say that everybody who met Cyrus loved him yes. But that's what's interesting, because Xenophon was a Greek, right? But that's, so Herodotus is writing during um, the um, um, Greco-Persian Wars. Yeah. So they're fighting against... Persians are the enemy. That's what I mean. And they're fighting against Xerxes. Yeah. So uh, Cyrus gives birth to Darius, who, or I'm sorry, Cyrus gives birth to wow. a daughter who gives... Yeah. It's yeah. complicated. And the, I should, Persons are built different. That, how, <laughs> look, it's just, it's just how it is. Yeah. Look at their cats. No, so, no, no. So, I'll, I'll, I'm going to track the, the males. I apologize. But it's Xerxes... I'm sorry. What am I doing right now? So, it's Cyrus <laughs> to... He has a child, and then one of his children gives birth to Darius. Darius gives birth to Xerxes. Mm-hmm. Xerxes is the one who's fighting in the... Greco-Persian wars at the time Herodotus is writing and I thought Xenophon but maybe and in the movie 300 right yeah who's the, the guy with the nose ring that uh, what's his face Xerxes uh, that, uh, is it Xerxes well, yeah. Xerxes is the person one who gets cut by the um, Leonidas that's Leonidas Leonidas yeah. Anyway. yeah that's this definitely played by what's his name oh, Scottish uh, dude I forget but I also want to note that this uh, Cyrus fellow if he's you know bringing in the societies he conquers sounds a lot like the Borg Yes. Yeah. That they assimilate. You'll be assimilated. Now, the other thing that Xenophon does is he takes great pains to show that Cyrus only kind of believed in the gods, but was very devoted to the one god. So Herodotus has some of that. And it's interesting how he'll see the Greek pantheon as essentially just having different names in each different um, region. Mm -hmm. Again, state isn't the right term to use here. And even, yeah, they're essentially city-states that sometimes have shared cultural practices. But he'll talk about the Egyptians just having a different name for uh, Pick Your God and the Persians having a different name. But the same, like, you know... Uh, they it's the same a, guy. They have a sea god. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. things like that. Is what but medieval uh, Christians in, in sort of later antiquity in the Middle Ages looked at z- that idea that Xenophon said uh, oh, Cyrus really liked the one god. And they were like, well, then God must have been working through Cyrus. And of course he is. Mm-hmm. He shows up in the Bible. Right. And so uh, when Cyrus shows devotion to the one, to the true God, as he called it, or as Xenophon has it, tells it, then Christians looked at that and said, this is an example of extra biblical example of God working through history through a great man to bring about something he wanted in the world, right. the Jews going back to Israel and then sort of that kind of thing. Does Xenophon Would, talk about the Israelites? In the oh, book? I can't remember. Because in this one, there, there's kind of a vague reference that could be um, the Israelites, but it's not clear. They're not called yeah. Israel. Um, I'll have to, I'll go back and look. Okay. I, I can't remember. Because um, I plan on finishing Xenophon this week. Cool. All right. So I'll just go a little bit into this. Uh, so again, 
I talked last time about how Herodotus is trying for some type of objectivity and the fact that he covers a Persian king as a part of his story and doesn't just condemn him all the way, I think is kind of as much as you could expect of um, a, a Greek talking about the like grand great grandfather of the people of the person who's killing He's your cool, brothers I guess. and sisters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll get some digs in there. And that's where, um, again, if you all have anything you've heard either from Xenophon or just other Cyrus stuff you read. I don't know. You're really into, I don't know. You've read so much about Cyrus. Okay, so. I haven't. Sounds cool, though. Uh, it, yeah. It's pretty great. I'm into it. Okay. Yeah. So in the same way that the part one of book one kind of had this line that kicks off what the rest of the book is about, this second part of book one also has that. It starts with, from here, our story demands that we inquire further about Cyrus and the Persians. Who was this man who destroyed the empire of Croesus? And how did the Persians become leaders of Asia? I shall write this account using as many sources certain Persians who uh, I, I shall I shall write this account using as my sources certain Persians who do not intend to magnify the deeds of Cyrus, but rather to tell what really happened. Although I know of um, three other ways in which the story of Cyrus is told, which is funny. So he's trying to capture what actually happened, as opposed to the his um, the uh, agar- the uh, the one that the, like a version of the history that makes him into a god essentially. He's trying to track who is Cyrus, the guy. This is one of those sections that sometimes gets Herodotus into trouble as being too anti-Persian or anti this group of people, but understood in the context of he's at war with these people, it makes a little bit more sense. He, to the point that most of the second half isn't really about the life of Cyrus, it's about his lineage, his birth, and then kind of all the people groups that he conquered, which, as, as I say all the time, we'll get to. Okay, so a descendant, or uh, not a descendant, one of the um, forefathers of Cyrus, we start with a guy named Deuces, and I guess I should say Herodotus uses Greek names for all of the Persians that he's referencing. Mm. So just in case you're wondering why do all the Persians have Greek names, it's because he's using the Greek version of their name. He observes at one point that all Persians have an S at the end of their name. That's just a function of how the names are transliterated into Greek. That's not actually true of like all Persian people at the time had um, S's as the last letter of their name, which is a funny thing. So Diakes is a, um, you know, a, I can't count how many generations, maybe five or six generations before Cyrus. And he is not a man of noble birth. He is just a dude who serves in a village and he wants to attain to power in the village where he is born. So gentlemen, you are not of noble lineage. You want to attain to power. You want to become a king one day. What do you do to amass power? Well, first bone to pick. What makes you think we're not of noble lineage? No, no, I'm setting this up for you. Oh, see what I, I see. did? Yeah. Because I can trace my family back to the kings of Iceland. I'm I sure kid you, you not. Anyway. Mine were farmers. <laughs> <laughs> so, AJ, maybe we can go with you. No, so imagine you're dropped into the middle of the 6th century BC and you have no like credit to your name and you want to gain power. What do you do to gain power? I think there's two ways to do it. Either make a lot of cash or join the army and become a great conqueror. Those are good. I feel like, or I can also woo a princess, oh, but there you go. that's okay. tougher because usually you got to have royal lineage for that. So I'm thinking. Or be like real woo woo. Or yeah, like <laughs> really spiritual. have your game about yeah, you. Yeah. And that's, that's tough. So I feel like the best option here is becoming a noted military leader and amassing a following in the military because getting a lot of money, I mean like fortune won't always help you there. And all you got to do in the military is just risk your own skin, which yeah. I can do all day long. Mm-hmm. This is fair. Do you, Remember from um, Machiavelli, he gives a couple of ways that people can attain to power. Do you remember any of his? 
Here's one that was like a great answer that none of us guessed. And now here I am putting you on the spot. Shoot. You having fun yet? No. So <laughs> you're giving great. Graham, did you? Have Wasn't it like. Uh, get a job that you can't be replaced in. No, that wasn't. That's for one of the advisors, I think. Yeah. No, no, you don't want advisors that can't be replaced. No, anyway. I can't remember. So what Dikey's does is interesting. So you're giving good answers. So clearly if you show military prowess, people are going to trust you and want to, you know, pledge themselves to you or whatever. Here is the path that he takes. And I think this ends up winding up with one of Machiavelli's idea, one of Machiavelli's ideas. Um, and Dikey's always seeking to acquire power performed his duties with such integrity and fairness that he received high praise from the fellow citizens. And so he beloved, beloved and, but not just loved. It's that he's viewed as just Hmm. and that when there, he is fair to those who come to him. And this is a reputation that spreads to surrounding villages. And whenever there are conflicts, whenever there are disagreements, those people start coming to Dikes to um, adjudicate. So why am I not more powerful? Uh, You're very powerful. What are you talking about? Are they not loved? Or I'm not just. What's happening right now? Does this is it work in the reverse? That if if you're if you're not powerful, you must not be these things. Or is that's gotta be some sort of logical fallacy? If you are loved, you will gain fallacy. power. You are not powerful, therefore you are not loved. It is affirming the consequent. Mm. It is a fallacy. Thank you. Does that make you feel better about yourself? Um, no. Oh, I'm well, no and yes for. at the okay. same time. Yeah. Um. Wait, wait, no, wait. If you're loved, you'll get power. You are not par- powerful, therefore you are not loved. That is just a modus tollens, yeah. and it's valid. I'm sorry. Oh, oh dude. wait, hold on. Oh, rough. What does that mean? What's modus tollens mean? Modus tollens is a a valid form of reasoning. If A, then B. Not B, therefore not A. Right. If I have a requirement, I will get the result. Sorry, I don't have the result, therefore I cannot have had the requirement. Oof. Graham, this rough. is rough. Sorry, buddy. It's right. unloved. It's okay. All right. So this Diakis guy though is loved and just, and so he. This is the reputation that he builds for himself, and over time, again, we've talked before. I just, I just mentioned this that there aren't really nations at the time. It's more kind of you have your city and you kind of deal with everything locally. Well, as all of these surrounding villages start to hear about this wise leader, they uh, begin to see that his ju- his judgments are better than them figuring things out for themselves. That like outside of his justice, there is war and conflict and strife, but in dealing with things, and since both parties agree to his judgment, there is order under, under his ideas. Mm. And so people start kind of pledging this authority to him um, to the point that he becomes appointed king. He gets named, he's, he's not voted on king. What Merito- kind of meritocracy right there. Actually, kind of, yeah. yeah. I'm your king. You don't vote for kings. <laughs> Except they do, because they put down names. They propose individuals who might be appointed as king, and Diakis was proposed and highly praised, and then he becomes king, is how this works. Okay, so this huh. you got this really like just guy, really nice, or not, not nice, a fair guy, who is the who is appointed king. You know, what do you what do you expect this king's first order to be? Hopefully he doesn't take like a big one eighty. <laughs> And like slaughter his enemies or something. You mean like building himself a residence worthy of a king and fortifying it with bodyguards? <laughs> Is that what he does? That's his first thing. And then he builds monuments and then he makes his, his house very secure. That's that's like his first, that's the first thing he does. Hey Down the hatches, boys. That's what it, it feels that way very much at the beginning. Uh, this continues and the point that Herodotus is making. But is if that they're monuments to justice, I mean, that's kind of That nice. is fair. He is worthy of praise. Therefore, yeah. he's not doing a bad thing. <laughs> monuments to abs, my ass. <laughs> Even though he's like actually really chubby, he's just kind of lying about it. Is he really? No, I don't know. Oh, okay. He doesn't say. So, um, so he creates this this uh, castle for himself, or this you know separate building for himself. It's well fortified. He gets bodyguards. He starts generating this like distance between him and the other people, mostly mm-hmm. because he's from this town and he doesn't want them to like 
be buddy buddy with him. Um, I makes, can see that. that makes total sense. It does make sense. Yeah, you don't want people calling in favors like we grew up together, man. When yeah. you have to be kingly, it's yep. like uh, Henry the Fifth and uh, what's his face. Oh, um, what's his name? Falstaff. Yeah. Oh. So this. Uh, so it goes into more specifics. One of them is that no one's allowed to be in the presence of the king other than inside the palace. So he, he needs to be like holding court essentially for people to approach him. They can't just walk up to him on the street or anything like that. Um, I think I just said this. His motive in creating all this formality was to create a distance between himself and his peers because they had grown up with him and they were uh, not his inferiors in family lineage or competence or any of those things. So he's really equal with the people around him. But And they remember it. And they remember Mm -hmm. it because it was, you know, a year ago or whatever that he got nominated king. So he creates this distance between them. But all these things that he does, uh, not making eye contact, not being in his presence outside of this very formal setting, sets the tone or sets the precedent for all future kings. That's that's the reason he's going into all this stuff right now. Mm. Oh, so, yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, like he did it for a reason, right? Yes. If we if one of us became king, yep. you'd you, have to you might that. have to set a little bit di- like I keep have texting a you. Separation. Yeah, you'd have to lose my number because I would keep texting you things all the time. Yeah. yeah, and you'd be like, "How do you feel about the rising Chinese threat?" Yeah, yeah, and you'd be like, "Can't I can't do you this? Can't, right now. Yeah." New phone, who dis, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, this is the worst. Um, so he sets up all these precedents that will then get passed on eventually. Um, but he is a ruler of, um, he's a ruler for a long time. He's a ruler for 53 years. So good long life. He then passes on the leadership to his son. I'm not going to go into details for What's all of What's this kid's name? Uh, Friortes. Yeah. Diocese passes to Friortes, passes, passes to Zyaxaris. Are you just wanting to me to make a fool of myself right now? No, I'm just okay. trying to remember. I just, I'm trying to remember Cyrus's dad's name. Cyrus's dad's name is Astyages. Asti- okay. I'm just wondering what that guy's, you know, fatherhood policy was. Got to keep your priorities straight. Yeah. <laughs> what just happened right there? I, uh, yeah. Sounds like a... <laughs> Got to have good priorities. I, it's, this is the best. Or like okay. a deep fried dish. Is priorities? I'm going to order the priorities. Looks pretty good. Sounds delicious to me. Um, okay, so uh, this control keeps passing on from father to son, from father to son, passes to Zyaxaris, which then passes on to Astyages. Is it eldest son? Is it uh, they don't really go primogenitor? Other, they don't really go into the other mm. siblings, so they make it sound like there's only one Because I'm just wondering, if it was meritocracy at the beginning, does the dad choose the like most worthy son to pass it on to? Well, oh, actually, I think I just got that wrong. So Astyages is king. Sorry, I'll correct myself in just a second. So the father of Cyrus is actually Cambyses. I don't know mm. if that's what you were thinking of. But the king before him was Astyages. So, sorry, just to trace it. So there are all these kings. Herodotus goes through all their military conquests. It's super interesting. Go, go buy the book. It's a great book. So we then get to Astyages. So Astyages is son of um, Cyaxares, uh, another name that I've, bur- I've butchered recently. So Astyages has a daughter, and the daughter's name is Mandane. And Mandane is um, his daughter. That's really all there is to it. But Astyages, there are lots of dreams that will happen during this part of the book. So Astyages has a dream about his daughter, and it's a mortifying dream. Are you excited for this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the only appropriate response after this is the millennial answer of that's awkward. So I just prepare oh, myself. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. So Astyages, son of um, Cyaxares, inherited the kingship. He had a daughter by the name of Mandane, and he dreamed that she urinated so copiously that she filled up the, his city and flooded all Asia besides. Yeesh. Gotta stay hydrated. You want to yes. get that checked out. Is that your takeaway right there? Okay, so that's the dream that he has. Do you want to interpret this dream? What does that dream mean? 
Don't give her water. No, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> there's, something to, there's something to fear from his daughter. So Astyages takes this as a interpretation that um, her child um, will flood the kingdom, Just essentially. That's piss the, it all away. Sure. Yeah. Well, not even that. It, so that um, the... <laughs> This that was strange. A part. You like that? Thanks. That was really good. I, I refuse to acknowledge it. Thanks, so, Graham. the region that her urine is flooding is not. <laughs> sorry, this is weird. I, this is the Greeks are weird. Uh, is not re, a region that Astyages owns or mm. that he has not conquered yet. Mm. So, oh, but it so she just pee on the it, stuff he doesn't own. Well, no, no. It floods the city and then all those other places. Does that make so? Mm. So like it drowns the city, including him and Asia, like and all the land around them. Mm. It's a lot. That's a lot of pee. It's a lot of pee. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of pee. It's really, again, that's awkward. Mm-hmm. That's the only appropriate response to that. Okay. So he has this dream, and because he's had a prophecy, what does everyone who has a prophecy want to do? Try to kill, your, try to kill the kid, or try to stop it. Try to stop it is, yeah. the, is the general one. And so he does this in a few ways. You're jumping the gun, but you're spot on. So first off, he Wait, tries- Wait, he interpreted it that her child is going to be a curse. Yes. Okay. It's going to- You don't interpret that as like maybe your child is going to conquer everything? Well- yeah, I feel like there are different ways you could take it. Yeah. Um, her yeah. her benevolence will flood the city. Well, I will just mm, shower you with praise. Gross. Stop. He told the magis he told the magis's dream interpreters about his dream, and when he learned from them the implications of its detail, he became frightened. Doesn't yeah. actually go into it. Oh, so it was the interpreters. Yeah, they get their comeuppance later though, so mm, don't okay. don't feel bad for them. Okay. That's or, a rough. I mean, like that's do, a thankless job, right? Can you? I would hate to be the dream interpreter. I mean, when you're given stuff when like that to work yeah. with, what do yeah. you? You can work on CNBC. Okay. Yep. Okay. So anyway, that's, um, do stock predictions. Uh, yeah. That's basically the same as dream interpreters. 40% chance of stock market. <laughs> 40% chance it works. 90%. No. Okay. So, um, this is, this, uh, Stygius gets this dream. He then wants to change the, change the prophecy as all people do who mm-hmm. get a prophecy. So he does this first by finding a, uh, husband for his daughter who is, um, lesser or like, he doesn't want the offspring of his daughter to be great and kill him, Astyages, and so he tries to find someone who's a loser. That's I think so he just gets a dope, about? gets a dope to marry his daughter. Yeah. Mary yeah. Her, yeah. <laughs> Marries what? her after a dopey guy. Did we do another episode where this was like the story of what happened? I'm not remembering it, but I don't remember. Uh, you're gonna every piece of the story you're going to think re, like reminds you of some other story. So which always makes me wonder: is this the one that's like is this made up or is this actually what happened? We'll get to it. So it's like Battlestar Galactica. I have not seen that, oh. so I will take your word for it. So we're on the fracking <laughs> ship. Uh huh. So did you add, wait? Was that actually what the word is? Yeah, no, yeah. they they Let's use fracking, fracking instead word of the word. Yeah, and word. I I giggle every time, and that's why I could never watch that show that's because really it made me giggle. Okay, so uh, so Astyages marries off his daughter to um, kind of a loser, Cambyses. I don't know if you remember this, but the prophecy Croesus got was that when a donkey becomes king of Persia, you know, run for the hills mm. or whatever. Well, this is what is meant by that. The um, the donkey has mixed. It's a donkey or a mule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, donkey. and Cambyses is a Mede and a Persian. Well, Cambyses is just like lower birth mm. than the. Oh, and she and he's married the um, daughter. So he's he's, he's the donkey and she's the. The mayor. Or, She's you know, the, the mayor, and then yeah. they get a, they get a mule in the okay. in this yeah, gotcha. metaphor. Yeah. So um, the, they uh, this is Astyages' way of trying to get around the prophecy. He has another dream that is in the same vein as the one that I just read you, which I will not read you because uh, you get the gist. So the second dream happens where um, uh, where Astyages is worried or gets a vision of the destruction that's going to be wrought by the uh, son of his daughter, and so he tries to 
get this kid killed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I can't get the prophecy. I'm, I got it. About peeing sorry. so much you've yeah, flooded yeah. Asia. Has yeah. it, has it ever been a situation where a family gets a prophecy and they do something and they're like, well, prophecy fixed. Yeah, we did never, it. Right. I, mean, I mean, like that's never the case. It's right. always, we try to stop the prophecy, but the prophecy still comes about. I feel like you just shouldn't even check. Well, that's what I want. Like, would everything have gone better if Estiages hadn't done what he's about to do? I guess the answer must be yes. We'll get there um, at some point. So I don't know. Like it's the same with Paris. They yeah. tried to kill him off and they tried to stop it's, it all. Oh. The Trojan War still happened. Like they well, partially because of what they did. Right. Yeah. Tell me if this story sounds familiar then. So the kid is born and um, Mandane is so Mandane gives birth to this kid. Astyages is there. Astyages takes the kid and hands him off to a guy, Harpagos. And Astyages tells Harpagos, do you like all these names yet? Uh, Harpagos, take this kid and kill him. Right. What does Harpagos do? can't do it so he leaves the kid well better so he he can't do it so he hands it off to another person to do it he, he finds a sheep herder and says hi sheep herder could you please take this kid and kill it and um Har- harpagos lies to the sheep herder and says the king told me to tell you to do it and that if you don't do it he'll kill you so he he makes up this lie and gives it to the sheep herder to take and kill this kid what does the sheep herder do raise it right so the sheep herder takes the kid home and the sheep herder had actually been called into the town by Harpagos. And while the sheep herder is in town, his wife is giving birth. And so um, wife gives birth, sheep herders in town, gets this order from Harpagos, gets the kid, goes back home, finds out that his kid was stillborn. Aww. So his kid had died. And Let's so, just swap. That's just, does the wife know? Like, do you like that moment that Graham, it was like, oh, emotional moment. And AJ's like, I have a solution to this. That's what just happened. I, know, but I, we'll I stopped talking because I felt yourself. like my language was going to be so insensitive. I told you, I'm still, he just swapped him out. Yeah, I mean, that's like switch him. That is literally what happened. And it does, I mean, part of this is that I'm, you know, I'm reading this thousands of years later and through multiple translations of language, but it does feel very flippant that the wife is like, oh, I just had a stillborn child. How about you put that one out in the field and we raise this one? Like it feels like it lacks emotion, even though. The, it the, seems awfully benevolent, right? Evil, we, well, that too, yeah. Right? Like, we could kill this kid. kid, but we can save a life today. Yes. Yeah. So they make, that, that, which is what they do. So they can't bring themselves to kill the kid in the first place. And also, they just had the grief of not having a child. So it, it seems almost fortuitous that all these things happen at the same time. So mm-hmm. the, um, the sheep herder keeps the kid, who we eventually find out is Cyrus. He's given a different name. I don't think... Herodotus even lists that name here. It just doesn't matter to the story. They, the sheep herder then takes the stillborn child and um, exposes him, makes it look like the kid had been exposed because that's what he, would, he was supposed to do. Oh, and then, can he, then he tells the yes. guy, so hey, here he is. Exposes the kid, and then he brings some of the spies of the king to observe the body three days oh, later after decomposition is oh. kicked in. Or, or so it says. So that the the people looking at the body don't really know, can't tell that it's not the same body, but it's clearly a child born around the same time that is dead. That which is the main important thing at all this. Okay. So that's you know birth of Cyrus, the the saving of Cyrus. So now he can be a ruddy farm boy. So t- so what what happens next? Does Cyrus live this life of obscurity forever? No, yeah, he, obviously not. He, he can't. We're reading history books shed about 
the glory of being a nobleborn. And as he ages, everyone's like, There's something about that. Do you know the story? No, I'm just oh, making it up. It's the so, same thing that happened with Paris. It's the same thing that happened. This, with Paris. Well, that's yeah. so clearly that part was very much Paris, right? Yeah. Of being told to expose the kid. I don't know if the part about the swapping in a stillborn is the same. No, no, no. Paris was just raised by a she bear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. Well, that's that actually comes in here that um, there's a the the I can't say this word on the podcast, but the mother of the sheep. I'm sorry, the wife of the sheep herder. Her name translates to female dog, and so the. Um, that's where the story comes from that Cyrus was raised by a she-wolf was because his mom's, the, the lady who raised him, her name means she That's her name? Yes. Oh, that sucks. I mean, sure, but it's funny. Uh, I, I was giggling quite a bit throughout this section of the book, so everyone should go read Herodotus is my main takeaway. Okay, so Graham was answering the question. You're, oh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in, I'm in. Oh, wow. Man, how do you so do like, like attendance at school? You have to say it and everyone's just giggling yeah. as they go around the room. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then, so what Graham said is actually what happens from here. So what, the sheep herders just want to raise this kid because they lost their own. They care for this kid. And it's, you know, a gift from the gods. They're allowed to raise a kid in place of their own and a royal child, no less. Well, 10 years later, when Cyrus is 10 years old, that's how time works. Um, he's playing, he's out in the village and he's playing a game with the kids. And the kids decide they're going to make their own city, like as the part of the game. And who do they elect to be king of this city? Little little Cyrus. Little Cyrus. Little 10-year-old Cyrus is the one who's like in charge of all these kids of different ages. And what does, so like imagine you're playing a game of build the city. I don't, whatever. Like imagine you're playing a game with kids and someone's elected king. Like what's, what, what does that kid do? He's going to lord it over. He's punk. He's going to be a, just a jerk store. It's like Lord of the Flies. But what does he like do with it? Like, is it, uh, he makes them like bring him snacks and be subservient and he's just a jerk. He does, he does kid stuff, right? Yeah, just kid stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a normal game. Cross your eyes or, or I will make you do 20 pushups. Does Cyrus like build sanitation and yes, he then, uh, (laughs) he was playing in the road. Implements public works. Yeah. Yeah. He then appointed some of them to be builders, others to be bodyguards, a certain one of them to act as eye of the king, and another to have the honor of delivering message. Thus he assigned a position to each of them. So he like actually creates like a, a royal court. A of, small functioning government. Of these like children. And he's like, this is weird. And one of the kids he's playing with is this nobleman's son. And the nobleman's son is like, uh, you know, you're the sheep herder kid. I'm the noble person. Clearly you can't order me around. And Cyrus says, I am king. I was elected king by the people. You will listen to what I say. Ten-year-old Cyrus. And get the, him, Cyrus. Yeah, and so the noble guy's like, "I'm not going to listen to you." And so Cyrus whips the kid. He's he's like, I, "Yeah, you. Uh, if I'm king, you have to listen to me. Oh, if you don't, you're punished." Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. Show him what's up, okay. Cyrus. I'm rooting for this kid now. Listeners, AJ is like shocked at this, and Graham is like, "Of course, that's what he did." Yeah. So, oh mean, no, I'm not shocked. I'm okay, just like, good. "Yeah, go get him, Cyrus." Okay, good. Of course, so of course he did. This happens, and the Mayor father talks. of the you know the noble guy whose son just got you know beaten up by Cyrus is not happy about this, obviously. So the nobleman goes to the king, Astyages, and says, hey, your sheep herder's kid just whipped my kid, and you need to do something about this. Oh, he runs it up the... He runs to the king. He doesn't go to the sheep herder. He goes to the yeah, king. It's yeah, it's bogus. He it's runs bogus. it up the chain of command. He's a nobleman. He's, he a he's nobleman. running around about it. That's lame. Well, it feels like... I mean, he has the ear of the king, so I feel like he would use it. It's like calling the principal first. Yeah, but is it like that big of a deal? He got whipped. Like, the kids know. are playing in the field, that and your kid was being a true. punk. Like if but you came, so, got, like you got totally. beat up by the king, you were throwing some sass. And to be fair, I think the nobleman is wrong in this. Like clearly, anyway, in the game, Cyrus did the right thing, which we'll get to. So, uh, so Astyages calls the sheep herder and his son to court to 
confront them about this. And as Astyages is talking with him, he realizes that this 10 year old is like really like, um, he conducts himself very well. Looks like me. That comes up eventually, but first it's just kind of like, he's very noble. Like the way he holds himself and conducts himself, he is confident in a way that this, you know, the, that other people who come in here are not. And then also he starts to recognize his facial features. And, um, that's when Estiages is like, this kid's going to piss all over everything. That's exactly. <laughs> he's going to flood it with urine. Yep. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> that's our next shirt. Uh, <laughs> can that kid. please, can we get yeah. that on like embroidered on a pillow? Oh, yeah, this is perfect. We've had lots of embroidery in the last few episodes. This is, this is good of us. I'm, I'm holding crochet needles. That's yeah. probably why it's on my mind. Is that actually? Oh yeah. Crochet needles. Oh, they're right there. Okay. So at this point, Estiages is like, oh, this is like much worse than I thought. So he sends away the nobleman and says, don't worry, I'll take care of the kid. He's vague about it. He doesn't actually promise anything. And the nobleman ends up, I mean, disappearing. from. The yeah, what's a nobleman going to do? Yeah. King's like, I'm taking care of it. And that this is the prince, yeah. th- which he'll find out eventually. Mm-hmm. So he sends Cyrus off to a room. And then he talks to the sheep herder and says, hi, why are you with my child? Like, why do you mm. have my child? And the sheep herder tells the story about Harpagos coming to him and telling oh, him Harpagos, you are oh, in trouble. Harpagos is going well, to jail. Do you say that? Like, so why isn't it the sheep herder's fault for keeping the kid? You don't think so? No. Okay. So, well, you all are smarter than I am because I thought the sheep herder was going to get it. But, um, uh, sheep herder just instantly outs Harpagos, just tells him the whole story that Harpagos gave him this kid, told him that the king had ordered him to do it, told him the thing about the stillborn, told him he couldn't do it, you know, everything I've told you. I mean, it seems like he's, he's really upfront about it. He comes clean. Super honest I mean, about it. Yep. That's the kind of citizen you want, is one that's going to tell you the truth once you bring him in, right? And also, like, you all would be good kings. Uh, Harpagos tells you the story that the king wanted to do it. Like, what are the chances that that's actually true? So, you know, you can, it's a good point. You can do whatever you want. Like, ultimately, Harpagos is the if one If the king lied, came to you and said that. to do it and you didn't, right. that's one thing. But if Harpagos comes in with the story saying the king told me to tell you to do this. Yep. And if you don't, yeah. he'll kill you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sheep herder's like, all right, buddy, whatever. Yeah. Well, so then, so then the king calls in Harpagos and yeah. says, hi, this guy just told me a story. Do you want to confirm it? Harpagos tells him everything. He comes clean. Oh, there you go. Oh, well, that's better. I mean, nobody really wants to kill a kid. That's not a. If I'm yeah. honest. Well, that, but that's, that's, that's the thing is that no one wants to do this, and there. I'm not going into all the reasons, but Harpagos has some relation to the king, mm. and so he'd he'd be killing a nephew or something like that, and so him killing family would curse him in some way. So there were yeah. Every story I know about this, everyone has such an aversion to it that yes. no one is willing to do it. It yeah. reminds me of, and this I was going to bring this up before. You guys know the story about the the assassins, and I think Japan where one guy tried to hire somebody to kill his wife. Did you hear about this? The guy didn't want to do it, so he hired another guy. And he didn't want to do it, so he hired another guy. Six guys down the line, (laughs) somebody finally got outed and went to the police, and then they they kept on arresting all the way back. And so six guys went to jail for like conspiracy to commit murder because none of them actually wanted to commit the assassination. Look, that's essentially what happens here. The funny thing is they, it was less and less money each time. So like the fifth guy's like $5,000. I'm in. (laughs) That's the one you gotta be nervous about though. The first one's like doing it for money. The last one's like, no, this, I just, I'm just interested. Yeah. Okay. So Harper Ghost gets called in. He fesses up to everything. And Estiages' answer is that, well, things are good. That my, daughter was really upset with me because I, you know, killed her kid. And so now she doesn't have to be mad at me. So this is kind of, this has worked out and has become a good thing. I feel like she would be less mad at you. Not like what do you all, mean? well, she's not going to be like, everything's forgiven. 
Correct, because he still intended to kill the kid. Yeah, I mean, it's but, still going to be an icy Thanksgiving. But, yes. Uh, but, you know, so and so, since our fortune has changed for the better, first um, send your own boy to me to be with me, and then um, um, and then we're going to prepare a feast to celebrate this occasion that um, your... Uh, that this child has been brought back to the family, my relationship with my daughter can be repaired, all is well in the kingdom. Does the sheep herder express any kind of sadness of losing his adopted child? The sheep herder kind of um, disappears from oh. the story pretty quickly after this. Mm-hmm. Though that's, that was my question going through this too. Okay, so Astyages invites um, Arbogos to this feast. They're enjoying this feast. Um, you know, delicious meal. Um, and then Astyages puts in front of Harpagos a... Um, container that um, he can't see inside of. He opens up this container and inside he sees um, his son. He sees the head of his son. Harpagos sees the head of his son. So what Astyages had set up as a feast to commemorate um, the, um, Cyrus being brought back to them essentially from the dead ends up being a punishment against Harpagos. Kills his kid? Kills his kid. Wolf. So uh, Astyages kills Harpagos' kid in retribution for him denying a direct order and pulls a house of Atreus and yeah. the, the, the kid's um, body had been cut up into the food, and that's what Harpagos uh. had been eating the entire time. Uh. And so what was left over was the head and the hands and the feet, which are presented to Harpagos at the end of the meal. Oh, that is that is almost word for word House of Atreus. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. And so that's where, again, I don't know to what degree. So again, Herodotus is writing um, 5th century BC about a 6th century event. So is he the first one, or I don't I don't. How old is the House of Atreus, is what you're asking? I, or the version of the story, story we're telling. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, so, anyway. I, I, I mean, I think, I think that just happened a few times. This isn't the only time that people have cooked each other into pies. There's another, yes. there's another guy referenced. It's awful, yeah. but there's another guy referenced, I think, in the Inferno that did the same thing. He cooked his rival's kids into pies and then brought out the hands and feet after the meal and then taunted him with him. And essentially then, this. Uh, essentially exactly that, yeah. and then killed him. But then what is Harpagos's reaction in this moment? So he... It's revealed to him that what he's been eating is his child. It's the king who's, who is showing him this. What is what is Harpagos' reaction? You got to fight the king. You think so? Yeah, you got to take like out a sword and you got to do it. It's like, you know, I'm going to die, but it's right for me to enact revenge if on we, something that is so terrible. If we harken back to my episode, you say, this can't affect me. <laughs> and you take uh, uh, you take another bite of pie. AJ and, is closer to it. And you... Uh, my word. Oh, really? Yeah. I got to oh, so no. when Astyages... So Harpagos obediently took the cover and saw the remains of his son, but instead of reacting with shock at the sight, he contained himself. When Astyages asked him whether he knew what meat he had eaten, he, Harpagos, replied that he knew and that it was pleasing, as was everything that the king did. After replying thus, he picked up his son's remains and went home and then, and then buried his son. So he, that's a heavy day at the king's house. Yeah, yeah man, tell me about geez. it. But um, so that's the kind of resolution of this whole Cyrus being taken away and then brought back. So ten years old, he is returned to his father. Well, I'm was, sorry, Astyages is not his father. Astyages is his grandfather. Was Cyrus at this dinner? No, I don't think so. Hmm. No. Uh, so wouldn't you have been suspicious if this was supposed to be a feast in celebration of Cyrus oh, coming back to the thing and Cyrus is nowhere to be seen? I would have been a little suspicious showing up to that dinner and I'm like, yeah, yeah so... Like, uh, he wasn't mentioned. Where's give, Cyrus? Give Cyrus a happy meal and send him to bed and be like... Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what is... Um, so Cyrus is brought back to the house, but that doesn't... So there's still this kind of problem of Cyrus is going to become a king. Cyrus is going to, to grow to power. And so Astyages goes to his magi again, or the dream interpreters, and says, hi, do I need to be worried about this kid? Do I still need to kill this kid? And the magi say no. 
The Magi say that the prophecy has already been fulfilled because of the game that Cyrus played earlier, where he got elected king by the other kids. Oh. That that is oh. that is Cyrus fulfilling the prophecy, and therefore Astyages doesn't need to be worried. That's anymore. the Pea Kingdom. That's yes. So the Pea Kingdom was them all just playing in the village or whatever. Oh, that's what the, well, that's, that's convenient. That's what the dream interpreters say. So, but I mean, we know that Cyrus becomes like a, that's right. a conquering uh, king. So clearly some more stuff happens. Yeah. You're in trouble. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> you're in. <laughs> you're thinking about it? Is that what that You're means? in trouble. Oh, you're in. He said you're in. Yeah, I'm laughing on the inside. That's oh. good. Yeah, great. Okay, so this... Yeah, the dream interpreters make Astyages feel better by telling him that the uh, dream has already been accomplished. That's the that's what matters for all this stuff. Um, but there's still this lingering tension, kind of obviously, with Harpagos and Astyages. So again, mm, so Harpagos isn't out of the story. He's not out of the story. He's okay. not dead. He's still alive, and he chose to respond with deference to the king. So the king doesn't kill him. There's no reason to, and so Yikes. he stays in the. Kingdom. The king doesn't realize there could be, you know, l- lingering hostility in someone who kind of you force to eat their own children. What do you mean? I don't understand. So, um, Cyrus grows up. He's coming back in Act Five. Like, that oh, he's just, coming back in Act Three. Oh, like he's okay. right here. I don't know what Act we're in right now. This is actually kind of Act Three, though we're at the, near the end of our time. So, as always, we'll just rush through it. <laughs> so, um, so Harpagos is still in the picture. He, he, he. His goal becomes: How do I? punish Astyages for what he did to me, what he made me do in eating my son. And also Astyages killed his son in the first place. Oversalt the meat. <laughs> yep. Problem solved. And so what Astyages, what Harpagos decides to do is to help Cyrus take over the kingdom. Oh yeah. Here we go. So, um, the way it works is that, um, Cyrus is kind of, is kept under watch. I mean, he's like royalty. And so messages can't just get back and forth. Harpagos finds a way to send him a secret message that essentially tells him, hey, there are these revolts going on among the Persian people. If you were to present yourself as the leader of these revolts, the, the people would join you and you could raise an army and then fight your father and grandfather, um, grandfather. I keep saying father. Sorry. Just be, I say father because he's the king before him, but he's actually grandfather. Thank you. Um, well, that, it's because in, in Xenophon, the relationship between Cyrus and his dad is a very tight, close, good one. And the father isn't really brought up. Oh, yeah, his actual father yeah, is yeah. not brought up. Siambeses were, no, whatever his name. Uh, Siamb- that was his name. Siamb- um, again, it's so not important. It's not even on the page that I want. Because in Xenophon, he's the king. The dad is the king. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. okay. again, I only read a little bit, but Xenophon is sometimes viewed as kind of like a, not fictitious, but yeah, like a. He's lionizing it kind that's of. That's what yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, uh, so this is, the, so Harpagus gets this message to Cyrus. Cyrus considers it. And um, there is a, he, he takes a moment to consider it. He doesn't just do it right away, but ultimately deci- decides that this is his destiny, that he, he knows about this prophecy about him. He knows that he's supposed to be a great conqueror and that this is his moment to, to kick off that prophecy, essentially. So he it's actually, it's an, I wonder if this is in Xenophon. His, his first act to win the Persian um, slaves, servants, whatever, to his side is he goes out to the people and he says, people, grab, grab a scythe and come back here tomorrow. It's like, okay. So they go and they get scythes, you know, the, mm-hmm. the stick and the blade at the end, and they have to cut down like wheat and stuff and make themselves a feast. It's long, hard work. Um, they take a long time to do it, but they make for themselves, um, you know, they make a good meal for themselves. So they go through this day, hard work, but they get to eat at the end. So that's great. 
Well, the second day, Cyrus brings in lavish food. He brings in meats. He brings in wines. He brings in delicious food for these servants. That's day number two. And at the end of day number two, he presents to them, uh, men of Persia, here's where you stand. If you will obey me, you will have good days like today, but with the good multiplied many times over, and you will not have to work like slaves. If you do not obey me, however, you will have to perform countless labors fit for slaves like those of yesterday. So I appeal to you now, obey me and be free. In fact, I believe that it was by divine providence that I was born and that this opportunity was meant to fall into my hands. And I believe that you Persian men are in no way inferior to the Medes in war nor in anything else. That is how things stand. So let us revolt against Astyages and let us do it immediately. And the crowd goes, and they... They go with him. Is, is that in... Kind of, although he doesn't do it where... Uh, he he de- definitely uh, is a stickler for obedience, but the way that he does it in Xenophon is he's sent with a small regiment of Persian archers and, like, not an army, and what he go He... he um, um, uh, and they're not noblemen, like they're sort of common people. So he's got an army of commoners, just like spear, spear, spear throwers and archers. Okay. And he is allowed to give them uh, the type of weapons that nobility would have. And he sets up an Olymp- like an Olympic-style mm-hmm. games where he has the commoners and the nobility fight each other. And he gives really lavish prizes. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he teaches his not same lesson. He says, right. you are no better or no worse than noblemen. Right. Um, if you work hard, you will better yourself. And he wins people to his side doing that sure. so he's he definitely comes across here he sounds a little bit more like obey me and prosper yes. whereas in xenophon he comes across more like i'm going to create a system where you can prosper through your own merit right. it's a slightly more um positive view of him in xenophon but right. but that idea of him thinking that he's divinely appointed to do this is yes. definitely there that is in xenophon yeah, also. yeah yeah so that and that's a, a repeated mm-hmm. theme that you'll hear throughout this but this Works. This motivates the people to join him and, and begin combat. So Astyages has to figure out how is he going to defend his land from um, Cyrus and the army that he's building up. And so Astyages, Astyages you know, the, the king has commanders who take care of his army. So he needs a commander to fight Cyrus. Who does he pick as his commander to fight against Cyrus? The dude is his kids. Harpagos. He picks Harpagos to be the, the worst decision. The worst decision. Yeah. The the story oh, describes it as something bad idea. to the effect of uh, Astyages forgot that he did this to Harpagos, mm-hmm. and so he foolishly acted. But anyway, he puts Harpagos in charge of the army, and Harpagos and Cyrus, you, listener, you can't see me doing air quotes, but they go to battle. That was an air quotes because they show up, you know, in the same location technically, and then Harpagos just tells his people to let Cyrus through. There's no war. There's no combat at this point. It sounds like that scene in, it's not Highlander. What's it called? Uh, Braveheart. Braveheart where the Irish and the Scottish are supposed to fight. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't that? And then they're they like, all jail. Hey, <laughs> they shake hands like, well, good to see you guys. Yep. That's really good. But, uh, that, so there's no combat. The, um, the Persians that Cyrus has raised, uh, the, uh, attack, uh, um, Astyages and he is I think Astyages goes out to combat in the end but he's killed as a result of that and that is how Cyrus comes to power so they start with killing Astyages and taking over that region and then they spread out from there um, there's oh and then there's this kind of this like throwaway sentence like this is all the stuff that happened before the Croesus stuff that I already told you about before <laughs> so at this point we're caught up with 
the story that we heard last time hmm. in terms of like, you know, it only took 51 minutes for us to get to the same place we were last time. Nailed it. Um, so at this point, Herodotus will just go off and talk about different habits and customs and cultural things of the Persians. Um, there's not a lot that is, he's, you know, he's somewhat positive on these laws, which is great, but there's not a whole lot there. Um, at this, the story from here on out is how Cyrus takes over the lands around him. He gives every, he gives the, so once he takes over for Astyages, there are these like existing agreements in place with the other city states around him or the other cities around him. And only one of them choose, like only one of them receives Cyrus's messenger and like agrees to enter into the same subservience that they had before. All the others are like, we'll take our chances. Thanks. But then they change their mind after Cyrus comes into power. They see the huge army that he's gathered mm -hmm. and they don't want to die. And so they start sending messengers to Cyrus and Cyrus has a response to them. Um, so, but when his expectations proved to be mistaken, he took a fishing net, caught a great, Oh, uh, is there, um, yeah, Cyrus heard their proposal and responded by telling them a story. There was a flute player, he said, who saw some fish in the sea and played his flute to them, thinking they could come out onto the land. But when his expectation proved to be mistaken, he took a fishing net, caught a great number of fish in it, and pulled them out of the sea. Then, watching the fish writhe and quiver on the ground, he said to them, Stop dancing for me now, since you refused to come out and dance before, even when I played my flute for you. So he wanted them, you know. Not a very good fisherman if that's what he thinks is going to work. This is, this is very fair. But he, he wanted them to dance when he was playing the flute. They wouldn't dance, so he captures them and is about to kill them because that's how... No, it seems like he's a great fisherman. He's just a bad natural scientist. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't know how it works. Yeah. And so this kicks off bloodshed. This kicks off combat oh. and war. And Jeez Louise. Cyrus um, capturing every city that he comes across. Toward the end of it, these cities will simply give up. Cyrus, it's actually Harpagos who is in control of Cyrus's army. So there's a lot of, you know, Harpagos's great stories at this point. But Harpagos develops this method where essentially they push the they push dirt up against the walls of these cities and then they can climb into the cities and then the um, earthworks is what they call them, but this method works time and time again. They conquer city after city. Eventually, people just flee their city, get into their boats, and run away from Cyrus. That's all they can do is they just give up in front of him. And <laughs> so it turns out to take a city, all you need is a shovel. Yeah, honestly, though, uh, yes, exactly. Or like a you know, like, like a backhoe of, or a lot, bobcat. Lots of people. Yeah, if the, a classical bobcat would definitely freak some people That's out. Bobcat. That's definitely the truth. Yeah. Um, the couple of dump trucks. Look, if you had a dump truck back in the 500s BC, you're a conqueror that can't be stopped. Lose their mind. This reaches its culmination in Cyrus's attack on Babylon. So Babylon is like the biggest city in the the region in the area and it's so large that as um well there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens before first off there's this like moat thing outside of babylon mm -hmm. that is preventing cyrus from getting to it and he learns this method from a queen and of a, of a different region that if you essentially cut into the ground little streams that moat um goes away it uh it, it lets out into the streams instead of being stuck in the big piece of water that it's in does that make sense nope it doesn't. So you have a lake, and so instead, so you have a, a body of water mm -hmm. in one place. Well, you cut a river yeah. essentially into the ground. Well, part of the water pulls out in that direction. Mm -hmm. Well, you cut another one. Yeah, yeah. And then so you spread out the water over three hundred. Now you got a big hole. Uh, yes, exactly. But uh, apparently, it's not big enough that they can't get through it. Oh, gotcha. So, okay. 
once they get rid of the water, they can march they can their march army through. through. That's, gotcha, that's the gotcha, point gotcha. of it. And they take Babylon. But Babylon is so big a city that as they are, um, they've gotten rid of the moat, they've broken through the walls, and they're you know killing the guards there. The other side of the city has no idea that there's even a, con- a, a, a conquest going on. They, they can't even hear far enough. And they go into, there's this festival going on. But all that to say... They conquer even the wealthiest, best city of the region. You think you'd want like some better intelligence, or like, yeah. or just like one <laughs> Hi, of those deer cameras, right? Like <laughs> literally anything. Um, I will go for it. Oh, I was just thinking, like, there's a festival. This is like ACL going on in one part of the city. And yeah, they can't yeah, hear like, what's going on in the other one. Yeah, that's exactly. The airport's under attack. Um, yeah, can't hear it. Yeah, listening to Bob Seger or whoever. Bob well, Seger I mean, at ACL this year. Oh, no, I don't know. I don't even know if he's alive. I just picked a musician. Night moves. That's a good one. Oh, okay. Um, so there's more to it that... We'll skip past it, but the, you know, it talks about how great Babylon is, and Cyrus is even better for being able to have taken this town. And we'll, we're at the very end of the time, so I guess we'll just move into like what happens to this Cyrus guy. Um, so Cyrus is pushing the uh, boundary of his empire to try and grow it because I guess that's how conquest works and he gets to this one region you've played Civilization I've played it but I've never finished like a campaign of it so Mm. maybe I don't know how it works so he's trying to grow his um, his territory and he comes to this um, this region which the I'm not going to try and pronounce because I'll butcher it but there's a the ruler of this region is a queen and so the queen he, he first tries to woo the queen and the queen is not interested because he like she knows why he's doing this and so she says no to his advances. And then he, she makes an offer to him that he can either try and attack them. So um, essentially he can come out, he can invade their territory and try so and attack. Come at me, bro. Come mm-hmm. at me, bro. Or, or we'll come at you, bro. So you stay where you are and we will send our people to attack you. So either he advances or they advance. Like she, she I gets, feel like he should take the you advance. You think so? You can prepare. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wear yourself out marching. So that's what all of his advisors tell him, is you move back a little bit, let them come after you. Oh, but maybe she wouldn't have given that. Maybe she was in a really disadvantageous position, so she said that so that he would choose that, um, giving her the advantage, but really. Like, maybe her walls are leaky. It reminds me of uh, in Julius Caesar. They're like, we should wait and let them come here. He's like, nah, while they're marching, they're going to gather more people because those people hate us because we've been like sitting and eating their chickens and drinking their water and, you know, it'll be bad, bad for us if we wait. So Cyrus goes on the front foot. Well, so all of his advisors tell him to step back, go back into your region, let them come after you. Don't push your luck. And Croesus, who's been around and I just haven't been telling (gasps) his stories. like have him following him. He's like still Christmas hanging out. Is still, still there. Out. And you know, it has this whole thing about how, you know, Zeus gave me over to you yeah, because you may not want to listen to him though. Well, his well, advice dude was on pyre. Like his advice ago. before was good where he told oh. Cyrus not to let the Persians just like take whatever they wanted from the city mm. because then they would abandon Cyrus. Essentially they'd have all their needs met so they wouldn't fight for him anymore. So Croesus had good advice before. And he had that whole thing with praying to Apollo and Apollo listened. Uh, so yeah. there's that. But Croesus says to Cyrus, if you think yourself an immortal and that you command an immortal army, no opinion of mine will mean anything to you. But if you realize that you are human and command an army of human beings, consider first that there's a cycle in human affairs. And as it goes around, it does not permit the same person to enjoy good fortune forever. There's kind of your stuff from before. Therefore, I have an opinion opposite to that of these men concerning this matter. For if you permit the enemy to enter your territory and you are defeated, you risk losing your whole empire. And which, so, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. If he backs off, 
and they win one battle, it's going to put him on the defensive and he could lose everything. So Croesus advises him to enter into this other territory, fight them on their land, and push the offensive. Again, he's divinely ordained for this, so he should push this further, right? Um, Croesus comes up with this plan where they will kind of take the not great members of the army and have the not great have like have like the the weak people of the army prepare a feast. And when the, the when these other people when these not Persians see the feast, they'll come in, they'll kill the weak army people and they'll enjoy the feast and mm. then Cyrus's main army can come and attack them. That's the plan. Because they'll be all sleepy and all drinking. Turkey and, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's the plan. That's what Croesus tells them to do. And Cyrus thinks this is a great idea. <laughs> hey and, boys, I got a special job for you. Yeah. Feast bait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, it doesn't tell anyone that that's what they're doing, but that's Aww. exactly what's happening. <laughs> um, so, so wait a minute, where are all the dummies here? <laughs> wait, I'm a dummy. <laughs> no, no, they'd be looking for like the strong guys. Be like, I got to stand behind the, whatever, whoever their Achilles is. And it's like, glad those strong guys aren't here. Those guys eat a ton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be the worst. So before this happens, uh, Cyrus has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a member of this other tribe that he's about to attack. Um, and he sees the eldest, oh, sorry. He sees the eldest son of one of his highest advisors, and the sun has wings on his shoulder, and one of them casts a shadow over Asia and the other over Europe. So sun, two big wings, one covers Europe, one covers Asia. And Cyrus takes this to mean that this sun is going to plot against him. I think the sun is 20 years old at the time. And so he commands this advisor to go and kill this kid to make mm-hmm. sure that he doesn't take, uh, take over for Cyrus. Been there before. Yes, like literally in that exact same position. Is anyone going to chomp on anybody else's kids at this one? No, because we're at the very, very end of it, so it doesn't go into any of that. So Cyrus thinks that he's now protected himself by making sure that Darius won't kill him. But um, they go through with this plan. They have the weak part of the army. They set up this feast, and the people, the... Masagatai. Those are that's the name of the tribe that I've not wanted to butcher, but now he's misogynist. Yes, they are. Well, they're led by a queen, so I don't know. Anyway, the Masagatai um, attack this group of people, and then they eat all the food, and then they, um, as they're doing that, Cyrus launches an attack on them and capture the the son of the queen. So okay. they, they've had success. They haven't captured the queen, but they beat up this group of people and they capture the queen's son. So the prince of the Masagata. Why didn't they just poison the food? That's a great idea. Why wasn't it just like, ha ha, that idea. food was filled with gluten. Gotcha. Wait, oh. I hope you wouldn't take to poison them. But the, so Cyrus captures the son and the queen asks for Cyrus to let him go. Cyrus kind of takes his time, eventually does let him go. But as soon as he lets him go, the son kills himself. Mm. Well, the queen views this as Cyrus having broken his word to her to return her son. And this launches um, a fight. This, this launches combat. And they're on the territory of the Masagatai. Well, this just turns poorly for Cyrus. He thinks himself divine and that he can't die. It turns out that it's not true and that the dream that he had before was a divine trying to tell him that he was about to die, but he misinterpreted it. That's what the book says. Um, so... The Masagatai win against Cyrus, and in this battle he dies. There's not, there's not like a great final combat moment that he gets. It's kind of a, I'll just read it. A large part of the Persian army perished in this battle, and in particular Cyrus himself yeah. met his end. That sucks. Um, well, live by the sword. Die by the sword, literally. Um, Tamiris, who's the queen of the Masagatai, 
um, she, she fills up a, a, a wineskin of blood and she goes to find the body of Cyrus and she feeds the body of Cyrus the wineskin of blood to, and tells him that, you know, finally your, your bloodlust is sated by death. Um, oh, that's pretty heavy. She's kind of awesome. Yeah, kinda I, awesome. I kind of love that. They, they and go, thus the pea kingdom ends. Yeah, I mean, honestly, though. So it spread out and it flooded the, um, all of Asia and um, Astyages' region. But um, what is coming next is um, another king whose, whose two wings will cover, yes, Asia, but also Europe. And that is um, Darius is the next king that cool. comes after Cyrus. But that was Cyrus the Great. Herodotus is not nearly as positive on him sure. as yeah, yeah. other accounts. For sure. he, you, you get this arrogance to him where he yeah. thinks because he's... I can't die. Yeah, he can't die until he is killed um, um, and, and mocked in his death. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's Cyrus the Great according cool. to Herodotus. Awesome. And that is it. And I'm still waiting for the heavy metal album named Wineskin of Blood. Wineskin right? of Blood. That, yeah. That's pretty good. It's got to exist already, right? Right. Nah, I hope not. I don't want that in my search history. I'm not going to. Never mind. I got you. Okay, good. Thanks. <laughs> You're making me nervous cool. right now. All right. Wineskin of Blood. <laughs> <clears throat> He's actually looking it up. Does Comes up with a lot of Bible stuff. Oh, that's concerning. Yep. No, th- no uh, I just got Hold on. You're driving the ship there, Hannenberg. Heavy metal. He doesn't want to end it. He wants to keep searching for wineskin of blood. Nope, heavy metal blood test. That's not what I'm looking for. Okay, so it turns out this is not yet a heavy metal album. If you'd like to make that album, you can, and then email it to us at theguys at classicalstuff.net, and we will listen to it and tell you what we think. Awesome. Great uh, you can. All <laughs> right, right. If you like what we do, you can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash classicalstuff. You can tweet at us on the twits. You can, yeah, you can listen to our stuff wherever. And if you really like our stuff, you can also leave us a review on iTunes. And if you don't like our stuff, you can do the same thing. <laughs> it turns out. So anyway, we'll keep making podcasts as long as you guys keep listening to them. So, uh, and even still. And yeah, we'll probably, I mean, we were planning on making these when people, we didn't think people no were going to listen to them. So yeah. we're probably going to just gonna keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was about Cyrus the Virus. I hope you guys yeah. enjoyed it. I certainly did. And uh, we'll see you next time. This is the boys from Classical Stuff signing off. Ciao. Bye. Bye.